Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I've got the uh, the great pleasure of having a chat to Adam Ferrier, who's a consumer psychologist and co-founder of M6, the Marketing Science Ideas Exchange. Welcome, Adam. Hi, Darren. Look, um, the thing that I want to have particularly have a chat about today is uh, this whole idea of science and marketing, because coming from a science and medical research background. I find that so many people feel incredibly uncomfortable with the, those two concepts. Yeah, I think science has historically had a, um, a kind of a, a shield around it, which made it feel quite impenetrable, and it had no place at all in the world of marketing. Uh, to get stuck straight into it, yeah. some, about 10, 15 years ago, a guy called Daniel Kahneman, a psychologist, won the Nobel Laureate for Economics, and in so doing kind of discovered or built behavioural economics. Yep. And behavioural economics is, was the first time that economics had ever been treated as a science. Before that, it was just a whole bunch of theories. And what they have done in the world of behavioural economics is suddenly made science feel much more applicable and applied and also a little somewhat commercialised as well. Well, yeah, I think accessible to a commercial application because, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's easy to distinguish pure and applied science. Yeah. You know, and, and people often argue that, you know, in, in the, our um, uh, modern world that people should be looking at the applied science, but there's also a role for pure science as well because that's where often a lot of uh, initial interesting ideas are generated that will f eventually find themselves into being applied. Yeah, but I already think it's probably going to start to freak out various people when, when you start talking like that who are going to be listening to this podcast are going to go, oh, shit, this is going to be too sciencey, it's going to get boring. In, when I was, I was a psychologist, and uh, I still am, and uh, everyone in the, the, they used to call psychology a soft science, and it used to piss me off because there's nothing soft. It's just a difficult and a complex science, but it's still, um, it's still the scientific rigour is, is needed to try to understand and kind of get short footing around certain principles. Yeah, look, uh, you're right. I don't want to be a Sheldon here, you know, mm, from uh, mm. Big Bang Theory then, and start saying, well, there's only one pure science and everything else is irrelevant. But, you know, I think it's because the sciences based around human beings are incredibly complex because human beings are incredibly complex, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. And it, it, the way I look at um, the science of... Uh, human behaviour or psychology, is in the 50s and 60s, um, really good fundamental understanding of, um, of humans was investigated. And, uh, and we had really kind of big effect sciences for lots of the various types of experiments that were done. And ever since then, it's kind of gotten more and more derivative of those kind of things. So we're finding out less and less big things about how humans work, and it's becoming more and more kind of nuanced. And I think one of the things that holds science as an application of marketing back is that the it's just not worth it sometimes. So you might understand or find out something's really true, but it just doesn't have that big an effect size. And because scientists are very keen to publish everything they learn, sometimes the effect size of what they're talking about can be really, really small. So therefore, it might be interesting, but not not really worth knowing. Hmm. So my interest here is the fact that I think there's a lot of things about science methodology 
that could fit really well with the marketing process. And that is things, for instance, um, a cornerstone is the scientific method, you know, yeah. the idea of how to uh, make, take an observation, make a hypothesis, design an experiment, carry out the experiment, look at the results and get, uh, see whether the hypothesis is proven or not. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So, so, you know, that's, I, I think science, more, beyond just the insights that you're talking about, that scientists can, to, can uh, evolve and prove and then use those to inform marketing, there's a bigger game here from my perspective, which is to actually embrace the, the practices of science to take marketing from being a opinion-driven industry to more a fact-based or, or um, data-based uh, application. Yeah, uh, I think um, that's a very worthy thing to do. And um, but I think almost... I can feel a big there is a the but, There is a but. I don't know why I'm being so, so negative against what I try to do. But... Um, one of the issues is, and I think the Ehrenberg Bass Institute uh, do a good job of, of being more science-based and evidence-based in kind of their, their reporting of, of various marketing principles. Um, lots of marketers don't necessarily want to know the truth. Uh, we're more interested in business, in the whole of business, in creating success stories. And more people's careers are invested in success rather than invested in doing the right thing. So the scientific method setting up a hypothesis, doing test and learning, and then adapting as we go. To do that, you have to be open to being wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, what I think one of the biggest differences between people in marketing and scientists is scientists are prepared to be wrong. Well, most of them are. Some of them kind of still lie about the edges and only publish when they get when they prove things. Yeah. But, but marketing especially, is you're not allowed to be wrong. Okay, so I've had that thrown back at me a lot. And what I say is, would you rather oh, yeah. do a small experiment that tells you whether you're right or wrong, or keep doing what you've been doing for the last 10 years, not knowing it's wrong, but actually not achieving anything? That's right. And, and then we're back to, without. I hope this doesn't sound boring, but then we're back to effect size. Yeah. Effect size versus resources needed to do the experiment. So if you're talking about something big, um, then and you can run a small experiment, and then you, then the effect size is probably worth the complexity of doing it. And that and in, and in our market, it, it it often doesn't happen as much as bigger markets. So let's so, say so take the states, where I think in some ways they're kind of more progressed around a test and learn kind of mindset mm. because they've got the market size to warrant doing the initial exploration. And uh, well, what I'm seeing that's changing that is uh, a lot of marketers here are talking about agile marketing. That's right. What's now, changing is the is the um, the, the ease, context the, and the and the ease of being able to test and learn, which yeah. is which is much more nimble than it ever has been before. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, data uh, technology, digital technology, allows you to take groups of people and actually test against them and uh, do it in a way, you know, before, what am I going to do? Make two TV ads, run one on Channel 9, one on Channel 7 in different markets and see what the result is. Yeah. It's too, one, it's too public so that the failure or, and failure may not even be failure, it might be underperformance of anyone, would be too gross yeah, that's for right. someone to live with. But, but you know, the, the industry, to, to move on the discussion forward, the industry looks at science and marketing as two parts. 
you know, and we see that with math men and mad men, which I hate. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, you know, we like thinking about dipoles. We like to say, well, there's science and that sits over there and that's all the propeller heads and here's all the cool mad men over here that work on gut instinct. But in actual fact, the two inform each other, don't yeah, they? Yeah, totally. And um, I think there's some re there's really interesting businesses, mainly in the tech space, that are proving that the, the best results are when those two things can be kind of blurred completely. So the true innovations and the true kind of fantastic um, marketing-led businesses that are both that are both clever and beautiful mm. um, somehow find a way to kind of bring those two things together by employing people who really understand um, data, the kind of the, the scientific method you're talking about, as well as uh, people who are humanistic, get the value of design, get the value of beauty, and then those, those bring those kind of different disciplines together create something great. I disagree with you somewhat. I think they are different disciplines and I think it's very, very hard to find them in the one person. So the the clunky dichotomy of math men and madmen, uh, although it's a bit ugly and a bit stereotypical, I kind of think it's it's right. It's normally an organisation that reconciles that rather than finding the one person who, mm. who reconciles both of those things. So you're saying as a label, it often is true that one person is either moved towards a science analytical approach or they're towards a more sort of intuitive, rela intuitive relationship approach. I, I, I think so. And I, I think the whole big picture, uh, big picture kind of detailed kind of... Um, dichotomy is also kind of somewhat true as well and we've struggled with this in terms of just purely in a creative sense of trying to find um, you know really really kind of data literate creatives um, and those two skills they are very creative but in a kind of quite a different way to the mm. non-data literate creative if, if you know what See, I mean. But it's interesting for me because my experience and I have a lot of friends that are scientists yeah. and especially mathematicians. And they're all really creative. They're, they're creative. incredibly creative. That, that's right. They're into music, they're yep. into art, they're into all, you know, they, like they have this whole, it, we talk about people like they're two dimensional. I know, I know. And it's, yet it's, you know, it's, some it's, of the greatest doctors I've ever worked with are also unbelievable cooks and artists and musicians. Yeah. And yet they perform amazing surgery and do unbelievable research. The idea that someone fits a pigeonhole of either being creative or intuitive yeah. doesn't feel real to me. No, it doesn't to me either when you, when you talk about the person in a holistic sense. But maybe when you come down to the craft or what they're actually getting paid to do, maybe they do tend to fall into one box or the other a little bit more. So your surgeon could be... Uh, a really beautiful musician, but would he take a creative approach to surgery? Probably not. He'll probably take a more of a scientific approach to that. So his application would be different. Yeah. Except that in even in the scientific method, which yeah. we mentioned before, the observation and is, hypothesis is massively creative. Is a creative process. It is. It and is. in fact, what I like about it is it, it's a distillation of when anyone asked me what creativity was. When I was a yeah. creative director, yeah. I'd go, it's a bit like coming up with a hypothesis. You observe, yeah. you think about it, and then you create a hypothesis. Yeah. And the hypothesis is an interpretation 
of the patterns you saw yeah. in the observations that perhaps no one else had seen previously. And to me, that was creativity. That's right. From my experience, when I've seen, however, and coming back to these kind of uh, these tech companies have got beautiful, wonderful platforms that look and feel great and are based purely on data, what tends to happen is people tend to test and learn and optimise within a various area. They tend to get very, very skilled and a little bit myopic in that. And then they sometimes kind of optimise what's best within that particular world rather than being able to take a step back and look at the broader picture. And so maybe that's what I mean by sometimes they, these people have both skill sets, but maybe when it comes down to the applied craft or what they're actually doing, they enter a particular mindset and maybe it's harder to change gears. Compartmentalisation. Yeah, maybe if there was more women and less men that that wouldn't happen. <laughs> who, who knows? I'm, I'm not even going to touch that. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a good example, you know, when you were saying before about um, bringing a, the two together. Mm. Um, now, I can't remember his name. I've gone blank. The guy at Pixar, John the Animator, that joined Pixar from Disney. Um, right. Uh, and he, he was an animator. He joined Pixar at a time when they were all, all, you know, coders who were in the early days of creating computer visuals. Yeah. And they'd, they'd be so excited because, oh, look, I've made a ball bounce up and down and look at the shading on it. And what he did was he used to go in there and they'd sh he'd be excited with them for what they'd created. And he'd go, that's interesting. Yeah. Could you make a rod yeah. that bent in the middle? And they'd go, oh, that's interesting. And, and then he'd leave and they'd do their coding. And then the next day or week, he'd come back. And before, by the end of it, he'd actually created a whole human being. The ball had become the head, the rods had become arms and legs. That's and he'd actually created something that people could relate to. That's a great example. That's a, it's, a, it's a really nice um, articulation of what I was trying to talk about. And I think for the same reason, that's why we created uh, M6 is there's loads and loads of people with these amazing skill sets doing really, really interesting things that they just need to meet the right person and, the, and, and create the right connection. And that's the reason why we bought these kind of sciencey boffins who, who make robots or who kind of got really nice kind of data analytical skills with kind of more creative, uh, I'll take that back, with more kind of... Um, Lateral, lateral, like, thank yeah, you. Lateral thinking, lateral yeah. thinking, yeah. or or, or people who come from different contexts or different parts of business, and being able to make those connections and bring those two things together a little bit more, because I think you're right. I think one feeds off the other. The science and the creativity feed off each other, um, and it's just about trying trying to find those connections and get the best of both worlds, rather than seeing yourself as one or the other. Yeah, because um, you know a lot of people talk about, and and in fact, it's been written, and and uh, you know, there's been. Uh, uh, scientific papers on this, that uh, diversity in all its shapes and forms actually increases innovation. Yeah. Because it's actually the meeting of different perspectives uh, that leads to new ways of thinking. Yes, it's the, I think it's more like, it's more the diversity, isn't it, as well as creating the environment, yeah. all that diversity to hit each other and ping into something new and creating kind of collisions. Um, and again, and that's you know that's a fascinating space in how to artificially, well not artificially, how to but, con how but, to construct uh, creativity and, and kind of innovative thinking like that. Yeah, and and I think that's where you know um, uh, a lot of people talk about the consulting firms moving into the world of the agency. You know, maybe one of the things that agencies have lost is this idea of what is the core of the agency. It's creating an environment and a culture for people to be creative, to be innovative, to think differently. 
and that the consulting firms are trying to find ways of moving into that space. Yeah, I think it's a really um, interesting observation in terms of creative agencies, especially if you're getting what they're getting paid for, and what they're getting paid for is to do is to come up with these kind of lateral, more creative ideas or whatever, and to not try to wear the trappings or, or look the same as um, other areas of business. The issue is other areas of business are trying to steal or trying to morph into um, what creators are like. And so the, the weirdness that creative agencies used to have has now been usurped and no, they no longer seem or look or feel a little bit weird or a bit freaky. And I think that's uh, at their detriment. Yeah, I think people that used to be attracted to agencies are now going to tech startups and they're going to, you know... Well, they're more... going to Google, as we yeah. saw from the, the special guys. Yeah, yeah they're, they're finding new places that create that opportunity for them to, uh, to, to be able to expand the sort of palette that they work on. Because, you know, when you think about it, creativity for a lot of agencies is, you know, how to come up with a... You know, another TV ad or a you know web page or things like yeah. You know, the palette has shrunk. Oh, the palette shrunk for for many. The palette has shrunk so much. And again, that's kind of why I love this idea of um, marketing sciences ideas exchange. The other thing I'm also I also do is I'm chairman of the Consumer Psychology Interest Group, which is a, a group run by the Australian Psychological Society. And I'm really I am I'm just absolutely fascinated in trying to make creativity more accountable um, and more evidence based. Um, so that we know we're doing the, the, the right thing or, or trying to solve the right problem rather than just trying to be creative for the sake of it. Like, mm. I, like I love, my, my passion is actually not science or even marketing science. My passion is ideas and mm. I love them. And the more out there they are, the better. But if they're not right or doing the right thing by the client's business, then they're, they're not only useless, they can be harmful. Yeah. Look, you know, and, and we talk about, as an industry, we talk about ideas, but I think a lot of the language has become, actually diminishes the power of what we're talking about. You know, when people talk about the big idea and it's really just a TV ad, right? Uh, I just, yeah, it blows me away. You know, yeah. the number of times someone said to me, oh, we had this big idea and I watch it. And for the life of me, you know, and I am and advertising have, literate yeah. and I'm trying to find what was the idea beyond an entertaining piece. The, 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 the phrase I look out for is, here's the big idea. It opens on. Yeah. And as soon as you hear the big idea opening on a certain scene, you know you're being sold on yeah. that. Where, where was the insight? Where was the where was the opportunity to disrupt or change so, so, the status quo? So Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy speaks yep. very, very articulately on this. And he says part of what the scientific revolution is doing in, in, within marketing is giving us a language as, and a confidence as to why things work. Um, and so we are much better able to go on the journey of doing something if we can articulate why we know it's going to work and the principles behind why it's going to work. So we no longer have to have a big swinging dick uh, executive creative director saying, trust me, yeah. there's a whole lot of language behind um, what they do as to why they work. And, and, and you know, most creatives, uh, are the ones I've met are kind of sensitive, kind of get the zeitgeist, kind mm. of the good ones at least kind of, and nuance and get it, but they just, they struggle with the language hmm. and they struggle being able to articulate why it's going to work. And then if they can't articulate why it's going to work, then the marketer can't articulate why it's going to work. And so, so science and this whole kind of scientific process are trying to understand 
and having a more scientific uh, nomenclature around what we do, how humans work and all that kind of shit, at the very least, will give us the basis to articulate why yeah. it's going to work. It, it, it provides you a framework. Mm. You know, because I, I remember um, as a creative director and having teams present... Oh, you were the I, big... Yeah. I, I was the big kahuna. <laughs> you know, I was there. Yeah. And the teams would present work. And, I, and I'd look at the idea, but I would want to understand where it came from. And I'd often say, where did that idea come from? You know, what was the thinking that led... And uh, creative people genuinely often are not able to reflect back no. on the process because it happens often at a deep subconscious level That's right. it's that they can't then deconstruct it to be able to give you that sense of, well, this is the process. Because, you know, sometimes process is enough for people to be able to believe in something beyond just what's being presented. I can remember my... I can remember many years ago when I was... Uh, I can remember the, uh, the executive credit director saying, do you mind writing up this idea? for his thing mm. and I was surprised that they needed somebody else to write the actual idea because they didn't even they weren't able they had it was a beautiful idea it was fantastic but just didn't have the ability to kind yeah. of zoom out of it and it's perspective you know it's it, it's the creator's curse because sometimes they're so deep in the creation of the idea that they're not able to leave it sitting on the table and step back away from it to actually get perspective because yeah. this is the thing you mentioned before the role of commercial ideas you know yeah. in in a framing of commercial relevance the human mind can produce millions of ideas and in fact people that are completely in touch with create you know being creative and that uh, will have thousands of ideas and maybe a handful of them will be enough top of mind that they actually are able to articulate and capture them okay but what makes one idea in a commercial sense more valuable than another is its application to actually driving change. Mm -hmm. Yes. And yet the number of creative people that say that the thing they hate is that framework, the framing of their creativity, yes. because they find it is, is incredibly limiting in a way of judging the quality of their work. Yeah, I think, I think there's some, I think there's some, um, I think there's some merit to that, and I think it's an easy thing to write off. But I think what they need to understand is a really, really tight distillation of a problem, and a really, really tight distillation of who we're trying to get to do what, and therefore they don't necessarily need to know. The person's going to have that idea doesn't necessarily need to know all the machinations behind that thinking. Mm -hmm that thinking just needs to be given to them in a very clear, distilled fashion. And then um, and then they can um, come up with ideas to do but that, it. Yeah, because Adam, what I like what you said before is that often in agencies, ideas are killed based on other someone else's opinion, right? Yeah. Here's the distilled idea. Yeah. Here's the idea. Here's the problem or opportunity we're yeah. trying to solve. I don't think that works. Whereas when we introduce a scientific framework or yeah. a language yeah. that is based on the science yeah. of persuasion, yeah. of behavioural economics, yeah. of what actually motivates people to yeah. enact change in their behaviour and yeah. develop habits, what we've got then is a language that allows the critique of the creativity in a way that is more formal and, and in some ways 
more subject, uh, less more, subjective. Less subjective. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's exactly right. And, there's two, and that's a really exciting thought to talk about because there's two different ways that good ideas can flourish. Then in that environment, number one is if you understand the science of behaviour change, the science of psychology, then you know what ideas will and won't work by just understanding the science and understanding you know what what we understand about you know, various aspects of human behaviour. So that doesn't require any further research or, or, mm. or, or, or testing. Um, level, that's level one. Um, so you can have more robust conversations about why it will and won't work. Yeah. The second level of what I, what I like is saying is obviously it's getting back to what we were talking about before, which is about actually testing and learning and getting evidence for, for is, is this going to work or not, which obviously if you can make the space to make that happen um, is good. And then you can have more objective um, cases. The more objective conversations and less subjective ones about will it or won't it work. However, I get back to the initial issue around people don't necessarily want to know. They just want to know the success story, which yeah. is a cultural thing which we need to um, address. address. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I just noticed the time. One of the things uh, I wanted to um, also raise with you is uh, the scientific understanding of creativity. So it all comes down to, and I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but it comes down to a um, entropy. You know, entropy is the measure of order and disorder, and that uh, the uh, the second or fourth law of thermodynamics is everything is getting more and more disordered. So entropy, disorder yeah. is increasing, right? Uh, there's chaos theory and there's complexity theory. And in both of those, it says the creativity, human creativity, exists at the boundary between the two. Did you know that? No. No, I didn't know that. But um, I, I, understand, I, I kind of understand it in kind of simpler terms, I think, is understand the problem, leave the problem, and then come back to the problem. And in leaving the problem, you create new connections and, and so forth that will then help you kind of come back and solve the problem. So that's how I okay. try to understand. So, so, so you know, uh, we've both worked in advertising for decades, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the most creative people are often those that seem the most chaotic. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that are you know often not neatly packaged as far as their workspace goes, and maybe uh, uh, forget things. But it's interesting because complexity theory says you know if the universe is moving to chaos which is what entropy says, yeah. right? Um, the people that exist on that boundary of complexity, because in chaos, there is no human uh, endeavours. In chaos, it's beyond your ability to do anything. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Chaos theory says yeah. that you can't do anything. So, so at complexity, at that boundary, is where creativity, because there is an infinite array of possibilities. Before it tips over into a world where you just give up and go yeah. home. So, and I love that idea because what it says is that creativity requires a certain set of circumstances and that is an environment where anything is possible. So you're saying it's a good thing? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the only issue, again, what you're saying, and just to give a bit, of a, bit more of a plug for getting more a scientific process within this, where in an environment where anything is possible an environment with infinite opportunity, then there's even it's even harder and harder to know what to do. And it's even harder and harder to decide what to do. So in that environment you're creating, ideas are 
everywhere and great ideas are everywhere. And therefore, that can create a sense of inertia within an organisation. So how then do you know which one's the right one to do? And how then do you get the evidence that that's the best opportunity versus the others? And so then I think you come back to having to have a really good understanding of um, why something's going to work, which then then brings us back to kind of a more scientific process. And I think we agree. Because one is about generating mm. infinite ideas, but what we're lacking at the moment... Is a backbone against which to know which ones are right. Yeah, that's a exactly framework right. that can actually judge ideas. You know, why is the idiom uh, ideas are a dime a dozen? Because no one actually came up with a framework to judge the value of all no. those ideas. And, and again, just, just in the world of science, the frameworks are still somewhat... The, the macro frameworks that everybody agrees to in this whole weird kind of complex world of human behaviour and, and marketing uh, are non-existent. However, no, that's not true. Are limited, embryonic. Are, are embryonic. Yeah. However, there are a couple, and um, there's a couple in terms of um, uh, the stages of change kind of work in, in the body of psychology and in the body of, of behavioural economics. Um, Kahneman's kind of system one, system two has taken hold all the, the cognitive biases and the heuristics that that kind of results in are starting to take hold and various people are ty- trying to shape all of those. And that's a fascinating space to be in because in this world of complete and utter chaos, um, these frameworks are becoming more and more valuable. Mm-hmm. And what I would um, suggest to your listeners is to understand what's the framework your organisation lives by what's the fra- what framework how do you how do you make decisions you know and how much of this do you take on board and do you want to be an evidence-based culture do you want to be an intuitive-based culture um, or, or somewhere in between and it's very very important to kind of set up the framework of how you just make decisions and, and work things through rather than reinventing it every time because the businesses that reinvent it every time uh, they waste a huge amount of effort. Exactly, and they, and they become tense places to be yeah. in. And again, going back to the scientific method, that's the idea. Yeah, is that that's you don't right. reinvent every time. No. Everything is an incremental improvement. Incremental improvement, that's on right. On what you knew before. That's right, and there's, a, and there's a process, and people know where they are in the process, and that's, one, that's really kind of comforting, I think, especially as we get more and more complex. Because what I like about this is that you know, people will often say that there is no process to creativity. You articulated a process before, yeah. you know, immerse yourself into the problem, yeah. allow it to, you know, percolate, uh, percolate yeah. Yeah, in your subconscious, the back yeah. of your mind, yeah. then, you know, the generation of ideas that come up with it. Yeah. That's a process. You know, it was in um, uh, James Webb Young's A Technique for Producing Ideas. It was exactly that, that process articulated, you know, almost half a century ago. Um, but I and then think be, and then before that process, sorry, sorry to cut yeah. you off, uh, Darren. There, there's also there's quite formulaic processes in terms of solving business problems. So we would always take the business problem, trying to understand who we need to do what, which is going to account for the most variance to solve that problem. Once we understand that behaviour change required, we would deep dive into that uh, and a deep dive into that context. And then once we understand that, then we will start to generate ideas. So mm. I think, and we feel pretty. I feel pretty confident with that as a kind of a start yeah. point. Um, but again, it's not, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's right for everyone. And just I'd encourage people to develop their own, but, but spend time developing that process. Mm. 
Because, yeah, one of the things, that it, it's a discipline, you know, and it requires discipline. And I think that's uh, it, it's something that would be a benefit to the whole industry. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, so if, if I can just plug, join the Consumer Psychology Interest Group um, and, um, and also come along to the Marketing Sciences Ideas Exchange. It's in its fourth year this year. We have great keynote speakers. This year we've got an absolute uh, ripper. Um, and there's also the Marketing Sciences Ideas Awards, which are three years old, uh, where we ask people to write papers according to the scientific method, um, which next to the EFIs is kind of the only award show that really takes effectiveness um, as seriously, at least as seriously as the creative component. So anyway, there you go. Well, we'll make sure it goes with the podcast. Yeah. All the details, I, All the details are on the website. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean this to be so, to be so crass just then. Oh no, I think it's a, a sign of good media training. Take every opportunity to promote the uh, the that, interest. That's right, Adam. Thanks, thanks for your time. Thanks yeah. for dropping by and uh, having a chat. Cool, no problem, mate. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.